The American Federal Trade Commission recently chastened entertainment companies for marketing explicitly violent or sexual movies, recordings and video games at younger audiences. An LA paper, The Daily News reports, the Commission's investigation shows that the industry has been deliberately peddling the garbage to minors. Americans have finally had enough. Enough of the junk programming, the sordid movies and the offensive rock and rap lyrics, especially the ones that are so hateful to women. End of quote. At long last, the government is acknowledging what many parents have known for a long time. And that is that it, what our children see and hear does have an influence. And this is why the Bible tells us to be very careful with what we put into our minds. Philippians 4.8 tells us, Fill your minds with those things that are good and that deserve praise, things that are true, noble, right, pure, lovely, and honourable. If this was the standard of the movie industry, there would not have been over 70% of films, of films made in 1999 with an R rating. In Matthew 18, Jesus said, Woe to those who cause others, and especially the children, to fall into sin. Let's hope and pray that the music, film and video industry, with the people who market them, might become more responsible. Unfortunately, the mighty dollar too often wins the day. Never has it been so important for parents to instruct their children about what is decent and indecent, what is acceptable and unacceptable behaviour. Family values, human values, call them what you may, without these undeniable important values, civilization cannot last for long. For those who ask, does it really matter? Let me give you two short stories of two families whose history was traced over several generations. Lou Jones, not his real name, lived in the state of New York and didn't believe in family or human values of any kind. He married a girl of like character and from their union came 1,026 descendants. 300 of them died prematurely. Over 100 were sent to the penitentiary. 190 were public prostitutes. There were 100 drunkards, and the family cost the state over a million dollars. Sadly, this Jones family did not make a good contribution to society. On the other hand, there was a man named Jonathan Edwards, who also lived in New York. He believed in family and human values. He married a girl of like character and together they took their children to church. From this union, they have 729 descendants. Out of this family have come 300 preachers, 65 college professors, 13 university presidents, 60 authors of good books, three United States congressmen and one vice president of the United States. This family has not cost the state one dollar and has made a great contribution to society. 
While good training doesn't guarantee a perfect human being, it does give the best opportunity for a happy, successful, and productive life. I just want to give you today just the warmest welcome to our church that meets at 100 West Warte Road, Arcadia, California. Politicians know the hot buttons to push. Health, uh, medicines for the people who are getting on in years, money, our financial security, our lifestyles, how long we live, and also especially our families and our kids. I want to write these upon the blackboard today. Firstly, our health. Every person today in America is tremendously interested in some type of health program so that we can have security as far as our health is concerned. Money, social security. Some folks, particularly old folks, are filled with anxiety. They say, will I come to the place where I run out of money and where there's no money left in social security? Our life styles. We are accustomed to certain lifestyles. We want them to continue, but even more so. And every person, my friend, every person is interested in his kids. Every person is interested in looking after the children. If they're not, they ought to be. So millions of Americans and Canadians and Australians are looking to a big benevolent brother, a person who is going to make sure they have good health, lots of money, they're going to have magnificent lifestyles and where their children are going to be taken care of. Americans today as never before are looking towards Washington bureaucrats who will have the answers to all of their problems. They are looking for security, as they say, from the womb to the tomb, from the cradle to the crematorium, from the first breath to the last gasp. I would like to remind you today that big government has not always been successful, you know. The Russians tried it. The Russians, using a philosophy of socialism, or the welfare state said that they would turn Russia into the worker's paradise. Today it has become the worker's hell. The USA tried it also. Starting in the 1960s, the United States government endeavored to get rid of poverty and to lift the lifestyles of people and to take care of families, invested 3,500 billion dollars. It's almost an inconceivable sum. It's three and a half trillion dollars to lift up the people. But the people who should have been helped, they now recognize 
are worse off after this great attempt to set up a great society. Those who should have been helped were not helped. 3.5 trillion, not million, you know, million is a thousand, thousand, a billion is a thousand million. This is 3,500 billion dollars to bring about health, money, security, a great lifestyle, and to take care of the American family. It is my belief, my friend, that the great problems are not solved by politicians or by bureaucrats in Washington or Sacramento or anywhere else. I believe that the answers to these big questions or these big topics, these hot buttons that we have put on the blackboard, the answers are found in a different place. I believe that we need to look in a different direction and we shall do so today. I want you please to take your Bibles and turn to a remarkable passage written in the Bible. Deuteronomy chapter 28 verses 1 down to 14. These words written thousands of years ago. Deuteronomy chapter 28 and verses 1 and onwards, dear hearts and gentle people. Deuteronomy 28 verses 1 down to 14. The Bible says, If you fully obey the Lord your God and carefully follow all his commands I give you today, the Lord your God will set you high above all the nations on earth. All these blessings will come upon you and accompany you if you obey the Lord your God. You will be blessed in the city and blessed in the country. The fruit of your womb will be blessed and the crops of your land and the young of your livestock, the calves of your herds and the lambs of your flocks. Your basket and your kneading trowel will be blessed. You'll be blessed when you come in and blessed when you go out. The Lord will grant that the enemies will ri who rise up against you will be defeated before you. They will come at you from one direction but flee from you in seven. The Lord will send a blessing on your barns and on everything you put your hand to. The Lord your God will bless you in the land he is giving you. The Lord will establish you as his holy people as he promised you on oath. If you keep the commands of the Lord your God and walk in his ways, then all the peoples on earth will see that you are called by the name of the Lord and they will fear you. The Lord will grant you abundant prosperity in the fruit of your womb, the young of your livestock, and the crops of your ground in the land he swore to your forefathers to give you. The Lord will open the heavens, the storehouse of his bounty, to send you rain on your land in season, and to bless all the work of your hands. You will lend to many nations, but will borrow from none. The Lord will make you the head, not the tail. If you pay attention to the commands of the Lord your God that I give you this day and carefully follow them, you will always be at the top, never at the bottom. Do not turn aside from any of the commands I give you today to the right or to the left, following other gods and serving them. To whom were these remarkable words addressed? They were addressed to the children of Israel, by whom the Lord God of heaven and earth when were they addressed? Three and a half thousand years ago. And God said to the children of Israel, I'm going to bless you in health. 
People are going to just be amazed. I tell you, my friend, wouldn't it be far better to have abundant health than to need medicines? So God said, I'm going to bless you with health. Everything you do is going to bring in money. You're going to be so fantastically wealthy. You're going to have wonderful longevity, and I'm going to protect your children. The question is, this is an important question, because this is a covenant. Is this covenant still in force? This is the question. It is a monumental question. Was this covenant ever fulfilled in history? Yes, partially. In the days of the king of Israel, King Solomon, almost every plate was made of gold. People came from around the world to gaze in wonderment upon this little nation that was so blessed with health and money that had a magnificent lifestyle, whose families were remarkably blessed without the help of government bureaucracy. The question is, this is an important theological consideration, is this covenant that God made thousands of years ago applicable to us today? If it is applicable to us today, this is the greatest promise that you can imagine. Listen carefully to this. When God spoke these words, he spoke them to the children of Israel. We call them today the Jews. Does this promise today apply just to the Jewish people? Listen carefully. The Bible says that when a person comes to Christ, he is counted as an Israelite and an heir according to the promises that God made to his people. If that is so, then these promises apply to us today if somehow we can have the faith and the obedience to grasp them. I want you to turn in your Bible over here to a text. I want you to come over here to the book of Galatians in the New Testament. Galatians chapter 3, and I want you please to carefully follow my reasoning. Galatians chapter 3, verse 26 and onwards where Paul is talking about spiritual Israelites. Galatians chapter 3 and verse 26 and onwards he says, talking to the Gentiles, you are all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. For all of you who were baptized into Christ have clothed yourself with Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek, slave nor free, male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. If you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. So the Bible says, think about this, if you belong to Christ, then you are counted as being Abraham's seed and all the great promises that God gave to Abraham and to the children of Israel apply to you today. That God will make you, if you and I can only have the faith and the trust 
If we can only have it, these promises will apply to us. I want to give you another text that teaches this. Would you come over here, please, to a text in Matthew 21, where Jesus is speaking. And there he is speaking to the Israel of the flesh, literal Jews, Matthew, whom we love in Christ today. Matthew chapter 21, I want you to notice how he tells us we should consider the prophecies and the promises of the Old Testament. Matthew 21 and verse 33 and no, we're going to start at verse 43. Matthew 21 verse 43. Jesus said to the people of his day, the Israel of the flesh, therefore I tell you that the kingdom of God will be taken away from you and given to a people who will produce its fruits. Now the Bible teaches that the kingdom of God was taken from the Israel of the flesh and the kingdom of God was given to the Israel of the spirit. And so if you are a Jew today who believes in Christ, this promise applies to you. If you are a Gentile who believes in Christ, this promise about all of these things, these promises apply to you. It's almost a bit too hard to believe. It is tied up with our acceptance of the gospel because the gospel makes us a spiritual Jew and an heir according to the promises that God made to Abraham and to the rest of the fathers. The Bible teaches that I am a Gentile by birth. All men today are considered Gentiles by birth. I am born in a state of sin. David said, I was born in sin. Sin did my mother conceive me. The book of Ephesians tells us that we are alienated from God without him, without hope, and without God in the world. That's the teaching of the Bible. But the Bible teaches that when a person comes to Christ, think about this, when a person comes to Christ in true faith and in true repentance, God changes his life and God says you are now no longer a Gentile, but you are a spiritual Israelite. You are a child of Abraham and you're an heir according to the great promises and the prophecies of the Old Testament. Almost too hard to believe that this promise of Deuteronomy where God says, I'm going to bless you when you come in, when you go out, I'm going to bless the fruit of your womb, I'm going to bless your bonds, you're going to be the head, you're not going to be the tail, you're going to lend to people, but people will never, you're going to lend, but there you won't be asking for loans. You'll be the person who'll be doing the lending because of this unparalleled prosperity that I'm going to be pouring down upon you. Therefore, if this is so, then the place where we ought to look for true prosperity, for health care, for social security, for care for our children, is not Washington or Sacramento. It is God. Amen. The promises of God. Let me talk to you about health. 
Listen to this. The greatest advances in health are still to come. And your health is not dependent upon the President of the United States saying, when you get old and you're tottering towards the grave, I'll give you free Valium or something else. God says, I will bless you abundantly. The greatest breakthrough in health is still to come, and it will come when the people of God have faith in the God of Israel and recognize that the covenant is still applicable and they obey the word of God. I was reading last night something that almost blew me away. There is a great promise and prophecy in the book of Ezekiel and it talks about a river, a river that flows out of the sanctuary. It is the water of life, the Bible says it. And the prophet walked through it. After 1,500 feet, it was up to his ankles. Another 1,500 feet, it was up to his knees. And then it was up to his waist. And then it was a mighty river. You couldn't walk through it. And the Bible said, wherever the river went, the desert was healed. And the salty rivers like the Dead Sea, they became sweet. And where there were carcasses, there became life. It is a symbol of the healing power of God. Listen to this. If a person will obey God by faith and follow the teachings of the Bible, he will enjoy a degree of health better than anybody else in the world. He will live longer. He will look better. He will feel fitter. You are holding in your hands today the most potent antidote to disease in the world. The teachings of the Word of God. Every page in the Bible is a leaf from the tree of life and the people who will eat the Word of God will be blessed. We must be obedient to His Word. Longevity. There is a nation that rejected God it was Russia. The average age, the Russian male, is 57. 57. 57. Here we have overwhelming example of what happens to a nation when they turn away from God. 57. Last Saturday afternoon, after taking a meeting for Three Angels Broadcasting, our 3ABN at Loma Linda, we were asked to go to lunch by some wonderful people who come with us to Russia on a number of occasions, the Odells. Jess is 88. How does he spend his time? By traveling around the world, helping to preach the gospel. And his wife, a little younger, she looks, of course, hope she's watching, 30 years younger. <laughs> but here they are in their 80s. My friend, 
God has given them a degree of health that is a marvel to the world. There is a healing power in the reading and the obeying of the words of the scriptures. I say, let the river of life flow. Beverly spoke quite strongly today about the family, our children. Just think about this. God said, I will take care of your health. I'm going to talk about the money in a moment. He said, I'm going to take care of your lifestyle. God said, I'll take care of your kids. Listen what I'm going to say. Whenever there's a presidential debate, you're going to have somebody who'll get up and say, uh, Governor or Mr. Vice President or whoever, what are you going to do for our kids? It's the wrong question. No, it's the right question to the wrong person. People say, but we need more censorship. We need more laws. That may be so, but we need more families. It doesn't take a village to raise children. It takes a husband and a wife who are dedicated to God. That's what it takes. It doesn't take the government. You see, the government, the government wants to interfere in the lives of the people. And many, many people, millions say, we want it, we want it. It's like a drug. Give me more, give me more, give me more. Let the government take care of my children. We have now laws where we have people who look after our children so we can go to work. It is our right. It is our responsibility. No, it's not our right. And it's not the government's responsibility. God has said, I'll take care of your children. There are forces of evil today that are arrayed against our children as never before. Listen to this. There is no industry more putrid, more filthy, more rotten than the Hollywood industry. Stinks to heaven. Do you think those people care about children? They don't care about children. They care about the buck. They care about money. They don't care. When you hear their platitudes, I think you hypocrites. Many parents are glad to have the government say, we will pass legislation that will bring up your children. The next thing will be the government will tell you what your children can do and what you can do and how you are to worship. It's coming. People want it to be so because they're blinded. My friend, we are not called to look to Washington. We're called to look to God who said, I will take care of your children. You take this music, M&M. I thought they were things you ate. <laughs> My daughter said, Dad, would you pick me up some M&Ms in Australia? I did, you know. Little chocolate things that are bad for you but taste good. <laughs> then I discovered that M&M &M 
It was a man who produced music and he won a great award in Hollywood. The best, the best, they said. We're proud of you. Aren't you proud to be an American, sir? And his music says, rape women. Calls them word that starts with B. Talks about raping your mother. And kids are listening to it. Some of us folks, we listen to it, can't quite work out what he's saying. Hey, the kids aren't like that. They know. This music came out of hell, Eminem, and the advertising executives who put out this stuff are on the road to hell. They're going to burn unless they repent. You say, but God is not like that. Yes, he is. He destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah. I meet some moral influence theory theologians who preach at 50 miles from here. They say God never destroys anybody. Hey, haven't you heard about the flood? Haven't you heard about Sodom and Gomorrah? Haven't you heard about Ananias and Sapphira? Haven't you heard about the last judgment? Where you've been all your life? Well, the philosophers say, don't give me that garbage. God is a righteous God. One of the founding fathers said, when he spoke about slavery, when he said, when I think of the state of this nation, that God is just, and justice cannot sleep forever. Judgment is going to come upon the perverts of Hollywood. I'm amazed when I see politicians there embracing them, taking their money, and then saying, oh, we don't like your music. What hypocrisy. Don't look to the government to save your children. Look to God. The music, the internet. Now, that's something, you know, I'm tempted in many ways, but I'm not tempted with the internet because I've been delivered from computers. (laughs) The Lord gave me complete deliverance because for one thing, I don't type. I always thought that was something girls did, but you know, I'm, I'm a bit different. So I don't use a computer. Someone gave me a computer worth seven and a half thousand dollars. You know what I did? Gave it away. He said, this will be a blessing to you. When he left, I blessed somebody with it. I said, why are you giving it away? I said, what do I need it for? I don't need it. We got in our office all these G4s and does three billion calculations a second. What do I need three billion calculations a second? You know, I'm flat out doing one a second. But anyhow, I've been delivered as far as I'm concerned. The rapture has occurred with computers. But kids, little kids, they're wizards on computers. They can get on that. And, you know, they do it, you know. No temptation to me. Then, mom and dad sitting in the living room, kids looking at pornography, or maybe talking to some filthy sex offender. Goodness. 
if there is one character who's the lowest of the low, it's a pedophile. A man who preys on little boys and little girls. Oh, you say, do you think they're going to hell? Right, yeah. Red hot hell. They're going to burn? Going to burn! Can they repent? Yes. But they better fast because the doors of hell are yawning wide. But don't look to the president to save your children. Then there's violence. These video games, people getting their heads blown off, their insides ripped out. Where people haven't seen a movie like that, but I've got satellite and I get 3ABN, there's nothing like that on 3ABN, of course. <laughs> but I flick through on Saturday nights. I come home and I just want to relax because it's been a long day. I flick through 3,850,000 channels. <laughs> you know, you do. Then we also got cable. So you flick through, you know. And when you flick through, you think, people look at this stuff? You turn on a program, here's somebody who's angry, he's screaming at his wife, yelling, shouting. Do I need that? Hey, I don't need that. Garbage. But there are little kids sitting down watching this stuff. Government says, people get up and they say, Mr. President-to-be, what are you going to do about AIDS? If he had any courage, he'd say, I'm not going to do anything, but you better do something and stop sleeping around. Amen. You see, what's the government going to do? Government's got to save the world from AIDS. We're going to stop it today if we want to. Stop it today. Just change your behavior. Amen. You see? Then we have these parasites who sell drugs. And people get addicted to drugs, drugs, drugs. I want to tell you something. I don't believe in a big, bungling church bureaucracy. I don't believe in a big, bungling government bureaucracy to save my kids. I believe in God. And if I obey his word, he will take care of my kids. Are there folks here today who are concerned about their children? Would you raise your hands? I said in the letter I sent out, if you've got a concern for your kids, lift up your hands high. The close of the meeting, we're going to pray for your children. You know what we need to do? We need to pray a wall of protection around our kids. Pray for your kids. Just pray that God is going to send his angels and he's going to put a wall around our kids. We need to be a praying, earnest people. He said, I'm going to defeat your enemies. I want to tell you folks something. You set out to do the will of God. The forces of hell will be arrayed against you in the church and in the world. Since I've been running this ministry in the last few years, last two, three years, I've had four lawsuits. You folks knew that I had two. I had another two I didn't tell you about. 
but each of those large suits finished in ignominy for those who came against God's work. God closed, God closed the lips of those people who attempted to destroy his work. We didn't have to do much at all. We didn't have to defend ourselves because when God took out the flashlight and shone it in the dark recesses, lots of little creatures ran away. God takes care of you far better than a thousand lawyers, I tell you. Now money, let me talk about money. It's a subject all Americans are interested in. I'm a bit interested in it too. Because money gives us security. Let me talk to the older folks here who are retired. I know that some of you are scared to death about the future. You can't invest in the work of God because you're afraid of the future. That's because you don't really trust God. I know of one old man who could bless God's work in a remarkable way. He's got millions, millions, but he holds on to every dime. Under his bed, he sleeps with $200,000 in $20 bills. He said, I don't, not, I don't want something to happen to me. He said, what say if something happens? I said, do you believe in the preaching? Oh, yes, I believe in this. Do you believe Jesus is coming soon? Oh, yes, I believe in this. But I've got to hold on to the money. That's why the government is on a winner or the presidential candidate is on to a winning argument when he says to people, I'll take care of you. You don't need to fear anymore. Trust in me, your big brother. Social security. The Russians had the best social security program in the world. But today an old babushka in Siberia in the snow gets $20 a month because of the collapse of the economy. Thank you, socialism. I want you to look now with me at two Bible passages that talk about social security. Would you come over here with me, please, to Malachi chapter 3? And verses 6 and onwards. Malachi 3, verses 6 and onwards, my dear friends. As we think about social security, the money you and I have laid away. Malachi chapter 3, verse 6 and onwards. I, the Lord, do not change. So you, O descendants of Jacob, are not destroyed. Ever since the time of your forefathers, you've turned away from my decrees and have not kept them. Return to me, and I will return to you, says the Lord Almighty. But you ask, how are we to return? Will a man rob God? Yet you rob me. But you ask, how do we rob you? In tithes and offerings, you are under a curse, the whole nation of you, because you are robbing me. Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house. Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty, and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that you will not have room enough for it. I will prevent pests from devouring your crops and the vines in your fields will not cast their fruit, says the Lord Almighty. Then all the nations will call you blessed, for yours will be a delightful land, says 
the Lord Almighty. Listen, look at me. God says, if you enter into a covenant relationship with me, return your tithes. It didn't say tithe. And he discovered this last night. The children of Israel paid three tithes. And yet they became the wealthiest people in the world. But the very least that a child of God can do is to return a tithe. That's a tithe. A tenth of everything I possess. God says, return a tithe. I will bless you. I will open the windows of heaven and pour out so much blessing that you won't have room enough to receive it. God will bless the man or the woman who enters into a covenant relationship with God through tithing. Here is the second passage, 2 Corinthians chapter 9 and verse 6. 2 Corinthians chapter 9 and verse 6. 2 Corinthians chapter 9 and verse 6. Please turn in the Bible. 2 Corinthians 9 verse 6. Remember this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. Whoever sows generously will also reap generously. Listen to this. This is important. It may come as a surprise for you and for me to find out today that there are more texts in the New Testament about money than about the second coming. It's a stunner, isn't it? Everything starts with a seed. The Bible says, put your seed in the soil. The Bible says, don't put in a bad seed, put in a good seed. When he's talking about the seed, he's talking about money. He says, put the best seed into good soil. Quite frankly, I would not invest in some churches because they simply invest in themselves. Bill Bright says he would not pay tithe or give offerings to a church that didn't spend 50% of its income on the preaching of the gospel in evangelism. That's what he says. So put your money into good soil. Find a church. Find a ministry that is doing the work of God, that is not running a big, bungling bureaucracy. Put it into good soil and put a lot of seed in. People say that means 10%. No, it may be 10, 20, 30, 40, 50, 60, 70%, whatever God moves upon your heart to do. Because as you sow, so you will reap. I'm a little proud that the games are being held in my hometown of Sydney. They're to put on the greatest opening in the history of the Olympic Games. I'm slightly biased, but I'm correct. And I thought to my hometown, 
And I thought of the years I spent as a young minister with Beverly out in the wheat fields and how at harvest time I could smell the wheat and see the hundreds of miles of golden grain, not golden actually, a dark brown. A man who puts in a little seed will receive a little harvest. The more you put into the work of God, the more God will give back to you. People say, I cannot afford to tithe. I personally cannot afford not to. I need the blessing of God. People say, if you saw my budget, you know that I cannot give. That is why your budget is so puny. That is why you have so little. That is why you have so many debts. That is why you are struggling all the time because you are stealing from God. And remember this, if a millionaire, a billionaire like Bill Gates, God bless him if he gives 10 billion to the work of God, he still has 70 or something like that billion dollars left over. I can think of many people who'd be pleased to give so they have 10 or 20 billion left over. That is not faith. That is simply getting a tax deduction. I'm sure he has good motives though. I'm sure he's generous. When you give, remember how much you keep for yourself. And remember that your giving is a test of your commitment to Christ and your faith in God. Somebody said, well, the Bible says God loves a cheerful giver. Somebody else said he loves a cheerful giver, but he'll take it from anyone. <laughs> Listen to me. An abundant harvest, I've seen abundant harvest. I've seen the wheat piled up as high as this sanctuary, the market squares, because farmers put in the seed. Some of us are living very low lives spiritually, physically, mentally, because we are stealing from God. And the Bible says if we know about tithing and don't tithe, Every time we hold back our tithe, we owe God another 20%. Did you know that it says that? You steal from God. When you pay it, you've got to add 20%. You say, but God doesn't know. Yes, he does. He's watching. The most blessed people in the world are the people who give, not until it hurts, but until they can laugh. And I have a text on it. 2 Corinthians 9, 7. Every man should give what he has decided in his heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. Listen to this. The word cheerful comes from the Greek word hilaros. Hilaros. God says, I want you to be an hilaros giver. And from hilaros we get... Hilarious. God is looking for people who can give a tithe and a second tithe, and as they give it, they don't say, ouch, but they say, hallelujah. 
and they can laugh as they put it in the plate. And as they write out the checks, as the pastor comes along and adds a zero, they break forth into uncontrollable laughter. Listen. God delights to turn hopeless cases into glorious successes when we have faith and obedience. All true faith is shown by obedience and going out on a limb for God. God will enlarge your harvest when you give in faith. You know why? He's a mighty God. That's why. God delights to turn hopeless cases into glorious successes when we faithfully and lovingly obey his commands. I started to write all this upon the blackboard, but my words were too big. God delights to turn hopeless cases into glorious successes when we, with a holy hilarity, faithfully obey God and we give with joy. There's a poverty that afflicts many, many people. It afflicts them because they have never learned the joy of trusting God and giving. I invite you to that partnership. God says if you do that, you'll be the head, not the tail. Who wants to be the tail? You'll be the head, not the tail. You'll be on the top. You won't be on the bottom. Listen. Last night I dreamed a dream. I was in Israel, where I've gone on many occasions. I was at my favorite spot, at the Sea of Galilee, looking out into the mountain that was covered in snow. In my dream, I was worried about the future. I was worried about the church. I was worried about my team, my elders and my deacons, my church members. I was worried about my children, my daughters in San Francisco, that liberal city. One as a psychologist and one as a nurse. I was lost in my own world. And in my dream, I heard footsteps on the gravel beside the Sea of Galilee, those little white stones around the Sea of Galilee, not sand, little stones. And in my dream, I looked up, and there was a tall man. He wore a seamless robe. I remember him well in my dream. And I saw his hands. They were not like mine. They were calloused. He was a carpenter. And when I looked into his face, what got my attention was his eyes. Because when he looked at me, I could tell he read my soul. He knew it all, my sins, the burdens that I carried because of my sins, 
my fears, my doubts. And then he spoke. His voice was like the sound of many waters. It was so sweet that the birds ceased their singing. His voice was warm, deep, and resonant. In my dream, he called me by name. He said, John, come follow me. Trust me. Let me carry your burdens. I do not promise that the road will be easy, but I promise you that I will be by your side. Then in my dream he said to me, lean on me. Let me take care of your financial matters for the ministry that have been worrying you. Let me take care of the television stations. Let me take care of your children. Trust me. Walk with me. And then I awoke. It was not a dream. He was really there. I want you please to do something for me. I want you to softly get down on your knees. I want you then to stay there. And I want to pray with you for your children. Now, Father God, we come to the garden alone while the dew is still on the roses. We thank you that there is a man who comes, a tall, suntanned Galilean with calloused hands who wears a seamless robe and who says, lean on me. Let me take care of your financial burdens. Believe in me. Trust in me. Invest in me. Let me take care of your children. I'm waiting to send a million angels. I will save them from the internet. I will save them from the Hollywood vultures. Oh, I'm going to deal with them in the right time. But don't worry about them. Trust in me. I will take care of your children. As we're praying today, their heads bowed on our knees in the promise, in the presence of God the Father Almighty. How many today would like to bring their children before God in prayer? Lift up your hand. Dear Father, bless these people who bring their burdens to you. We thank you that the man who came and spoke in the dream is the one who gave his life for us on the cross. Wash us today in the blood of Christ.
Forgive us for our sins. Come into our hearts, fill us with the Spirit of God, and make us his disciples. Fill us today with joy and peace and a realization that our God delights to take a hopeless situation and to turn it into a glorious victory. Do it today, Father, in the lives of these people. For Jesus' sake, and thank you. Amen.